grab a seat. And if you've got a Bible, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're new with us, over the course of the last several weeks, we've been uh, unpacking together uh, the qualifications of elders in the life of the local church, kind of leading up toward um, a moment today in which we uh, will install the third elder here at Redeemer with us. And so we've been looking at the qualifications of elders. We've been digging deep into 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, where Paul outlines the kind of character that these men should have, the kind of convictions these men should possess. And so we've been unearthing 1 Timothy chapter 3 over the last couple of weeks, looking at uh, the qualifications of character for these individuals, because as we're about to see in 1 Peter chapter 5, the kind of work that God calls elders to in the life of his church requires men of moral and theological substance. Not light and trivial kinds of men, because if you have light and trivial kinds of men leading Jesus' church, you have a light and trivial church, right? Because the the church will take upon itself kind of the DNA or the fabric of its leaders. But Jesus says you need men of substance morally and men of substance theologically and biblically in order to be able to lead Jesus' church because the work that they're putting their hands to is serious business. And so we spent a lot of time talking about the qualifications for these men, but not a very little time talking about what they actually do until this morning. And so if you've got a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5, if not, it's going to be on the screen for you as we read it together. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes these words beginning in verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." And so Peter, I think, gives us some handles on what it is that elders are to do. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1 what these elders are to be, the kinds of men they are to be, the kind of qualifications that make them eligible for that office, the kind of character they are to possess, the theological convictions which which, uh, they are to hold. But Peter comes to tell us in 1 Peter chapter 5 what these men do. And I think if we're going to be shaped by the scriptures and the way that we think about pastors and the way that we think about elders and the way that we think about church leaders, we've got to come back to a text like this and see what Peter says these men are to be doing. And what Peter tells us about shepherds, and this is the charge that I would lay before our church today, and not only before our church, but also before Kevin and Paul and myself, because he says to the elders, Peter says, I exhort you, I command you, I want to encourage you, I'm pushing you towards something, Peter says, and here's what it is. He says that elders are to function as shepherds in the life of the local church. That's how they are to function. That's how they are to work. That's the task that God has given them to put their hands and their minds and their hearts to. They are to function as shepherds. And it's important that we 
see that because in our culture, particularly the 21st century American evangelical church, there are many who are wanting to dismiss the language of shepherding altogether from the pastorate. In fact, there are very prominent pastors of very large churches across our land who have indicated they don't think that the idea or the imagery of a shepherd is, any lo- is, is, a, is a helpful image any longer for the role and the, and, and the, and the work of pastors in Jesus' church. I said, that's not very helpful language, right? We need visionaries or we need strategists or we need cultural architects who can help design and build and create, who can help design marketing strategies and schemes to be able to make our, the name of our church great in our community. And so they don't see shepherd as necessarily a function of the New Testament pastor any longer. But they think the pastor is now to be kind of a marketing strategist and a cultural architect. And so whenever you see language like that, here's, what I, here's the mistake that I think that they're making. They're, they're taking a look at kind of how things have developed around them in the very large, prominent ministries in which God has positioned them. And they're going, this is what I do on a daily basis, right? I, I strategize and I'm, I may study some to preach, but really I'm thinking about how do we spread our kind of brand and our DNA across all the areas of our metropolitan, all the little suburbs of our metropolitan area. And so they're thinking not necessarily as a shepherd, walking alongside of people, but as a strategist of how can we get our name out there? How can we build this, this big machine? How can we build a larger church that's going to continue to churn out more and more people on a weekly basis? And so they've seen kind of this is what my role looks like. And so they're reading back. This is what it looks like for me to do what I do on a weekly basis. And so they're reading back into the scriptures and they're going, I don't see myself as a shepherd anymore. I see myself as a strategist because this is what my job requires of me where I think a, a, a better way to approach it is to go back to the Bible and say, what does the Bible, what does Paul say, what does Peter say these men, these elders, these pastors are to be doing and then shape your job around that. Not go, this is what my job demands of me, so this, this isn't a helpful metaphor. This isn't a helpful image for me any longer. I'm going I'm to push it aside. But rather going back to the Bible and saying, Jesus, or Peter says to the, these elders that he's writing to that they should shepherd the flock of God that's among them. In other words, the work that they are to do is the work of a shepherd, not a strategist, not a CEO, not a CFO, but a shepherd of a shepherd. And that should shape the way that pastors and elders are doing the work that God has given them to do. Now, what does that image tell us? It tells us several things. First of all, it tells us that the work that God has given elders in the life of the church, the work that he's given to myself and to Kevin and to Paul, the work that he's given to elders in his church is that they should shepherd. And the work of a shepherd with his sheep was to protect, to feed, and to lead. To protect, to feed, and to lead. And that's all imagery that comes from the scriptures. First of all, the work of the shepherd is to protect, it's to guard, it's to keep Jesus' church from being enticed away into all kinds of false teaching and all kinds of error. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul, Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and as he goes to Jerusalem, he says to those he's gathered there, he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but I feel constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I know that there's probably sufferings waiting for me there, but I've got to go. The Spirit is leading me to go. 
And so he gathers the elders, right? These men who have been established as shepherds in Jesus' church. He gathers them together at Miletus and he gathers the Ephesian elders. And this is what he says to them in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, whenever I leave, there's going to be wolves who come in. There's going to be some people who rise up from among you and there might be people who come in from outside of you. But they're going to come in and try and entice people and draw them away into all kinds of destructive and false teaching. And so what does Paul tell them? Be on guard. Be on guard. And a part of the job of an elder, that's why they've got to have a certain, we talked about last week, they've got to have a certain theological foundation. They've got to have certain theological convictions that shape and inform their practice and their doctrine and the way that they understand Scripture. They've got to have those foundations because there are people who come into the church and rise up from among the church who are trying to entice people away into all kinds of strange and false teachings. And Peter says a part of the work of the elder is to shepherd, and a part of the work of the shepherd is to guard and protect. To guard and protect. See, a part of what, the way I see the charge that God has given to me in Redeemer Church is to guard and protect those that he's entrusted to my care so that you would not be enticed, so that you would not be drawn astray, so that you would not... Uh, walk down roads that are going to be destructive to you and your family. Because you'll begin to believe things. Like, like the reason that you're struggling so much right now is because you just don't have enough faith, right? When those kinds of winds of doctrine begin to blow in the church and there are people who begin to say things like, the reason your son hasn't been healed is because you don't have enough faith. Or the reason that you lost your job is because you don't have enough faith. And they begin to say things like that. We need elders who can step in and say, no, no. Over the course of all biblical revelation, first comes suffering and then glory. There's suffering in Jesus' own experience and then glory. We're waiting for the glory one day. Everyone is going to suffer. Everyone is going to have trials. Everyone is going to have hardships. Everyone is going to encounter difficulty. You need elders who can come in and correct and, and, and instruct and keep and guard. Second of all, the work of a shepherd was not only to keep and to guard and protect the sheep or the flock that God had entrusted to, to them, but also to feed them. To feed them or to teach, to instruct, to open the Bible. A part of the work of the elders is to teach and preach in such a way that it feeds and nourishes the church. In fact, before Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, when he gathers with his disciples there on the beach and he, he kind of um, he, he, he reestablishes Peter and his ministry in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, 
to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Open the Bible and teach. For Peter, it would have been, tell them about who I am and what I've done, that I've accomplished it all. That their sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. That I am indeed better than every experience I could taste in this life. And Jesus' church needs men who would stand in the pulpit and sit across tables and coffee shops. And they would say, Jesus is better. Continue to pursue him. Continue to worship him. Continue to honor him. Don't turn aside from him. And they would open the Bible and teach and preach in such a way that it's nourishing and it builds. It builds the church. In fact, Martin Luther, as he thought about this text, he said this about the elders. He said they are Christ's servants and their business is to feed, uh, their business is to guard Christ's sheep and feed them. Therefore, to tend them is nothing else than to preach the gospel by which their souls are nourished, made fat and fruitful, since the sheep thrive upon the gospel and the word of God. Luther says, part of the job of the elder, the pastor in the church, is to open the Bible and teach in such a way that Jesus shines forth as the big story of all the Bible. So the pastor's coming back over and over again. The elders are coming back over and over again and pointing you through this book to Jesus, the second person of the triune God, the very Son of God from all ages past. Because that's nourishing. That's feeding. That's not laying on someone a bunch of rules and regulations and a bunch of laws and have-tos, but that's seeing the have-tos in their lives turn into want-tos because they're enamored with Jesus and they're in love with Jesus. And they say, I want now to serve him. I want now to honor him. I don't have to do those things any longer, but I want to do them because my desires and affections are being transformed and changed because I'm seeing Jesus through all the Bible. Shepherds need to feed. They need to take their flock to the place where they can be nourished and fed. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ is revealed on every page of the scriptures. So they guard and they protect and they keep and they chase away wolves and they correct those who are in error. And they feed and they teach and they see Jesus' church fed and nourished, the flock fattened and made happy, as Luther says, and full. But not only do they guard and not only do they feed, but they also lead. They also lead. A part of the elders' work is to lead the church toward the accomplishment of Jesus' mission in the world. To make sure that we're staying focused on what we need to stay focused on. And we're taking steps in that direction. In fact, in 1 Timothy, back in 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, Paul says to Timothy, he says, you got some elders who are going to exercise their office through the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. I think by him saying, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, assumes that there are some who may not labor in the same way in the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. But they may do other things. They may help take care of some of the administration of the church. They may help take care of some of the the kind of um, organization of the church and help lead in that kind of capacity. They may not stand up on the platform and open the Bible from publicly and teach, but they should be able to do so, we saw last week, in a variety of venues. 
But there are some who rule through administration and some who rule through preaching and teaching. And so there are some men who are wired and gifted in particular to stand up and open the Bible and preach and teach. And there are some who just have, God has gifted and equipped with abilities to organize and administrate and to mobilize people. And there are some elders who should be serving that kind of capacity and that kind of function in the life of the church. Some who are ruling through preaching and teaching and some who are ruling through administrating and organizing. And so they're to lead. There's to be, there is to be vision that is cast, that's moving us toward being a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And there are the people who come along and help organize toward that vision and administrate toward that vision and toward that mission. But when you, so, so the work of the shepherd is indeed to protect. The work of the shepherd is indeed to feed. The work of the shepherd is indeed to lead. But they don't do it. Listen, they don't do it in a conference room around a conference table. Shepherds weren't men who gathered in, in assemblies to just vote and make decisions. Shepherds were men who were out in the fields tending to the flock among them in, in the midst of the sheep. They were rugged men who weren't afraid to fight off wolves and they were aware of the wolves because they were amongst the sheep. And they were perhaps hearing some of the things that were being said and some of the things that people were kind of digesting and they were pushing back on those things as they chased the wolves away and corrected false teaching. They didn't just administrate and organize in a way that they kind of were this nebulous group that were back here somewhere and then they kind of like a cowboy driving the sheep, right? <laughs> right? All, all, kind of in the back pushing them out to go do things that they themselves weren't doing and taking ground as well. They were leading out a front and among the sheep. But they were leading nonetheless. They were saying, there's a cliff over here. We don't want to go that direction. And there's fertile fields over here. We do want to head in that direction. That's what shepherds did. They protected they taught, they fed, and they led Jesus' church. Now, they might have been equipped in a variety of ways to do that. Now, when I think about the way that um, Jesus functions in all of his different offices, right? Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament offices of leadership of the prophet, priest, and king. Right? So in the Old Testament, you had prophets who rose up to speak God's word. You had priests who came along to mediate the relationship between God and his people and care for the people. And you had kings who governed and administrated and helped the, the, the people uh, be organized into groups that could accomplish the tasks that God had given them. Jesus was the perfect prophet. He was the perfect priest and the great high king of all creation. But the men that he raises up to shepherd his church and to lead his church, they have a variety of giftings within those competencies. There are some who are more prophetic in the teaching and preaching office. There are some who are more priestly, and they come alongside. And man, their heart is filled with compassion toward people, and they care for them. And they walk alongside of them through discipleship and counseling and, and caring for those people. And then you have some who are more kingly in organizing and administrating the work. So you got some who are more prophetic, some who are more priestly, and some who are more kingly. And Jesus' church doesn't just need one or two of those. He needs all three of them to be engaged in that work. 
But no matter, no matter whether or not they're prophetic, priestly, or kingly in their orientation, whether they open the Bible and teach, whether they come alongside and care, or whether they organize and administrate, regardless, they should be doing it how? He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you by exercising oversight. Now that word oversight in the text, right, it's almost synonymous with a demonstration of concern and care. In fact, one commentator said it this way. He said that it's, it's, it's almost synonymous with the idea of attentive, compassionate care. So the shepherd's heart is for the sheep. He loves the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He's concerned about the sheep. And he's concerned not only about the sheep that are nice to him. He's concerned about all the sheep. He has a concern and a deep care and a deep compassion for those who are teachable and those who believe they already know everything. And there are folks like that in the church. There are some sheep like that who think they know everything. But a true shepherd has a heart for those who are teachable and those who aren't. A true shepherd has concern for those who are giving generously and those who aren't giving at all. So you're not playing favorites or pandering to people who are helping to float the church financially but rather somebody who hasn't given a dime, you're still pursuing them, still loving them, still have care and concern for them. So not only for those who are teachable and unteachable, those who are giving and those who aren't, but a concern for the younger brothers and for the older brothers amongst us, those who are living in hard-hearted rebellion and those who are living in hard-hearted self-righteousness. He's got a concern for those with strong consciences, those who are tempted at every turn, and those who have weak consciences. He's got a concern for those who are well and those who are able to serve and those who are sick and those who are homebound. So at times he shows up in people's houses to pray and to communicate love. We had an opportunity to do that several weeks ago as a a family in our congregation has been going through um, cancer treatment for the last better part of the last decade. And before she entered into her, her next round of chemo, our elders showed up in her house. We prayed over her, prayed with her, prayed for her. And even though she's not able to be here as much as she would like, our hearts are still gro- feel compelled and drawn toward her. You've got a concern for those who are sick and those who are well, those whose hearts are hurting, those whose hearts are healing, and those whose hearts who have yet to be shattered. And so they're still living a relatively naive kind of little bubble, thinking, why can't people just get over that stuff? Their hearts go out toward all of them. You got concern for those who are in the deepest of valleys and those at the peak of the mountains, for those who just buried a child and those who just delivered one. For those who just lost their spouse to a disease. And those who are preparing to enter into the joys and responsibilities of marriage. you got concern for those who are present, those who are absent, those who appear to be maturing, those who appear to be stuck, and those who are evidently in a position of waywardness and wandering. There's a concern for those who are aligned with Jesus' mission and those who are disgruntled and that tend to bite. Sheep bite sometimes. I don't know if you realize that or not. But there's a concern for people wherever they are on that spectrum. There's an oversight, a compassionate, attentive care 
through organization and administration, a compassion and attentive care through coming alongside through counseling and discipleship, a compassion and attentive care through preaching and teaching of God's word, a compassion and attentive care as they protect, as they feed, and as they lead, a compassionate and attentive care, exercising oversight for all kinds of people who are in all different stages and seasons. That's the work that Jesus gives to his shepherds. They are to function that way in the life of the local church. And so for those pastors who go, man, ministry would be great, or elders who go, ministry would be great, except for the people, (laughs) they've missed it altogether. Altogether. See, ministry is not just about managing programs and budgets and facilities, but caring for people. And that's the task Jesus gives to his elders. Now, how do they do that? What manner do they do that in? And Peter helps us with that as well. He says the elders' oversight should be humble, personal, willing, eager, and exemplary. Right? Personal, humble, willing, eager, and exemplary. First of all, humble, because the faithful shepherd realizes he's not the chief shepherd. He's not the chief shepherd, so he still needs to be shepherded. In fact, one of the conversations Kevin and I have had uh, not long after uh, me getting here uh, about 16 months ago, uh, we sat down and we talked about um, the role of the elders in the life of the local church. And he he kind of said, man, uh, all this is great, but there are times where I still need to be shepherded. And I said, you know what, me too. And that's why we're in this together. And that's why God puts a team of men in place to help lead the local church. Because sometimes, sometimes one of us has a tendency maybe to kind of go a little bit off the rails. And we need other people to come alongside and help bring us back on. To care for us and show concern for us and exercise oversight as a body of elders over the life of this church. Not just one singular one. Not just one singular one. So the true true and faithful shepherds realize they're not the chief shepherd, but they submit to his authority, Jesus' authority, and they're just under shepherds in his church. So there's a humility that's born of that recognition. But notice what also Peter says, it's personal, because faithful shepherds smell like sheep. Notice what he says in the text. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, he says in verse 1. Then in verse 2, he delivers the exhortation to the elders by saying that they are among the sheep. They're among the flock. They're with them, not removed from them on some other spiritual plane or plateau, but amongst them. So they hear about the broken legs, and they hear about the burrs in the side of, the, of caught in the wool, and they hear, they see, they're witnesses of these things as they walk alongside of people because they're shepherding from among them and they smell like sheep. Peter envisions the elders not being locked away on retreats or in boardrooms, but out and among people. Someone once said that, you know, a good pastor or a good elder, he's never out of his study on, in the mornings and he's never in it in the afternoons. You know what that means? It means there are men who God has given the office of teaching and preaching in the church to lead and to protect and to feed, who are immersed in the scriptures. There's moments in their days where they're immersed in the scriptures, and there's moments in their days where they're immersed in people's lives, and they're bringing those two things together. It's personal, it's humble, 
But not only is it that, but it's also willing. We talked about this a few weeks ago whenever Paul says to Timothy, whoever aspires to the office of overseer desires a noble task. There's a desire, an internal willingness. It's not under compulsion, Peter says. But there's an aspiration, a desire, a craving, and a longing for that work. So you're not twisting anybody's arm because there's an internal drive that God has given them. There's a willing shepherding that takes place in this work that they're doing. But also, it's an eager shepherding. And notice what he contrasts that with in this text. He says he contrasts it with for shameful gain. I find it very interesting. He says, elders should be eager to shepherd. They should be eager to lead and to feed and to protect and to defend. But they shouldn't be eager to do that for shameful gain. Now, what kind of eagerness would contrast with doing this for shameful gain? Here's the kind of eagerness, I think, that contrasts with doing it for shameful gain. There's an eagerness to give rather than an eagerness to gain. There's an eagerness to give yourself away, to give your time away, to give your energy away, to give your, your, your mental capacity away, to give your heart away to Jesus' people and love them, not to get from them. And so those who have an aspiration to this office, they're not doing it under compulsion, but willingly, they're eagerly engaged in it, not to get something from the congregation, but to give to them. To give to them. So nobody's aspiring to the office of overseer because they're going to get free tickets to baseball games, right? Nobody's aspiring, to, should be aspiring to the office of overseer because they're eager to get vacations paid for and their health care taken care of. Somebody to help them pay their bills. But there should be an eagerness not to take from the sheep, but to give to them. Man, does Jesus' church ever need that? Because there's so many, there's so many in our culture who look at pastors and they look at elders and they look at overseers and they go, they're kind of like used car salesmen who hide behind the Bible to kind of drain you of every dollar in your bank account. They're a little bit dirty, a little bit shady, and they're very flattering, and they can talk very well. They're kind of like a used car salesman. And then you've got these pastors who, whose ministries have exploded, and so their salaries are in, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some make just as much as CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And you look at that, and the world looks on at that, and they go, is that what this is about? Is it about money? And Peter says, faithful shepherds step up to the plate with an eagerness not to take from, receive from, get from the congregation, but to give to them, to give their time to them to give their energy to them, to show up in the hospital to pray for them. Not because they're thinking one day they're going to be grateful for me showing up in the hospital to pray for them and they're going to take me with them to the Cowboys game. Not that I really want to go to the Cowboys game, but take me with them to the Cowboys game. See, there's a kind of eagerness that is eager to give and not get. And that's what Paul has in mind here. Not for shameful gain. And finally, notice what he says as well. Their shepherding must be exemplary. It must be exemplary. 
Now, what kind of example? Listen, notice what he contrasts it to. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but setting an example. Now, what kind of example runs counter to or contrasts to not domineering over those in your charge? Not rising to authority to exercise it over people and keep them kind of under your thumb. What kind of example runs counter to that? It's the example of not being here to be served, but to serve. That's the kind of example. Not rising up to domineer with power and privilege and prestige and authority, but to come under people and serve them and give yourself away to them. He says, your elders, he talks to the elders, they should be humble because they're not the chief shepherd. They should be personal out among the sheep. They should be. They should be men who are doing it willingly, not under compulsion. They should be men who are doing eagerly to give themselves away, not to get something from. And they should be men who are doing it in an exemplary kind of fashion, not to lord authority over people so that people are doing what they want them to do, but they're coming up underneath people to serve them as an example in the way that Christ came to serve us. Peter says, that's the charge that I give to the elders. And that's the charge that I would give to the elders of this church. That's what God has called us to be. That's what he's called us to do. To teach, to lead, to protect. Because there's a concern for people no matter what season they are in, what stage they find themselves in. And it's a concern It isn't concerned out of what it will receive in return, but of how freely it may give and serve. That's the manner in which they are to do this shepherding work. But finally, notice the motive for it that Peter gives. Why? Why? Right? Some of you are looking at that and you're going, who's signing up for that? (laughs) Right? Who's signing up? to walk alongside of people in their deepest valleys and at their highest peaks? Who's signing up to show concern to those who bite at times? Who's signing up to show concern and exercise attentive, compassionate care for those who want to resist and not be a part of what Jesus and his, his, his mission is in the world? Who's signing up for that? And Peter says, it's those individuals whose lives is, are built upon the and when. Look what he says in verse 4. You do all these things, shepherd well, faithfully, and when. In other words, there's something coming in the future that far surpasses anything that you might have to endure in the present. And when the chief shepherd appears. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive an unfading crown of glory. There is... For the elders of Jesus' church, there is fixed in their minds and their hearts a longing for this unfading crown of glory. Now, the literal word that Peter uses here, literal word, is describing a particular kind of flower that was present in Peter's day in the Greco-Roman world, and it's still present in our day and time. And it's called the... uh, Amaranth, I think that's how you say it, right? the Amaranth. And so Peter literally is saying this. He says, they are longing for the Amaranthus 
garland of glory. That's the literal word in the text, in the Greek, in the Greek text. And that flower looks similar to this. And the reason that he uses that imagery is because this flower was known to be a flower that did not wither. And so they would weave garlands out of it, crowns out of it, perhaps to put on competitors' heads who won competitions because it, would, it was long-lasting, unwithering, and unfading. So they'd weave this garland together. right? And so, and so, so Peter says, this is what you're aiming for. You're aiming for this garland of amaranthus glory, this unwithering and unfading glory that would be yours one day at the return of the chief shepherd. In fact, in Greek mythology, there was a, a fable, um, and it, it goes something like this. An amaranth, an amaranth plant uh, planted in a garden near a rose tree thus addressed it. It said, what a lovely flower is the rose, a favorite alike with the gods and with men. In other words, the, rose, the, uh, the beauty of the rose is so incredible. And he goes, on, he goes on to say, I even envy your beauty and your perfume. And the rose replied, I indeed, dear Amaranth, flourish but for a brief season. If no cruel hand pluck me from my stem, yet I must perish by an early doom. But thou art immortal, dost never fade, but bloomest forever in renewed youth. And there's a beautiful image there of everything else that people would pursue in this life that is, has the beauty and fragrance of a rose that one day will wither and fail. But Jesus says there is a crown of glory, or Peter says there's a crown of glory that will be given to those faithful shepherds when Jesus returns, when the chief shepherd appears. And it's unwithering, it's unfading. It will endure forever. And so can I put my hand to all kinds of other tasks in this world? Can I put my energy into all kinds of other things in this world? Can I put my concern and care toward all other kinds of things in this world that are like a rose that might smell very sweet and last but for the season? Absolutely you can. But there is a day that's coming in which those things will wither and they will fade. But Peter says, those whose whose hearts are inclined toward this work of shepherding are those who realize that there's a day that's coming where everything else they might put their energy into in this life will fade, but their work of shepherding will re return to them a reward of unfading glory. Of unfading glory. So the first thing Peter says motivates this is a, this longing for a crown. But I think based on what Peter says in verse 4, you've also got to hold that intention because it's not just this crown that you want to get, but it's why you want to get it. Because one day there's a chief shepherd who's returning, and if there's a love for the chief shepherd, a longing for the crown, and a love for Christ, so that one day when the chief shepherd returns, that as elders as pastors, as overseers, as people who have put their hands to this task of shepherding, that we would take this unwithering, unfading crown of Amaranth and we would take it off as it's given to us and we would lay it at the feet of the one who wore a crown of thorns for us. Because our hearts are overwhelmed with love for the beauty of Jesus. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive this unfading, unwithering crown, which you will then take off, which I will then take off freely and willingly and happily and lay it down at the feet. Lay it down at the feet of the one who wore the crown that I deserved. See, it's only men whose hearts have been ravished and reconstructed by the gospel who understand everything belongs to him. And there's a, mo- a movement toward this kind of work. This is what shepherds do. They lead, they teach, they protect with extraordinary concern, attentive, compassionate care for people in all seasons and stages in a way that's personal and humble and willing and eager and exemplary because there's a crown coming one day that they want to be able to take off and lay at the feet of the one who wore theirs. So there's great, there's, there's great hardship to endure in the office of elder. There's great joys and sorrows. But we do it for the glory that is unwithering and unfading that we can one day lay down at the feet of Jesus. Father, we are indeed grateful for the work of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured all things, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at your right hand in glory. His work finished. And as he raises up and appoints under shepherds in the life of your church, by your spirit, God, help us to be attentive. God, I pray you would raise up desires in the hearts of other men in the life of our congregation who would say, there's a lot of things I've given my life to that are like roses and very few things that are like Amarath. And I want to give my life to more of those. To one day having this unwithering crown of glory to be able to lay down at the feet of Jesus who wore my crown in my place the one that I deserved, so I could receive the one that he deserved, so I could give it back to him. Would you raise up men with those hearts in this church? I thank you that you have, and I pray you would continue to do so, who would put their hands to that task of shepherding well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.